Hello Saints, Todd here with SafeguardYourSoul.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are so blessed to have these moments together in the Word of God. And remember, Saints, there's nothing, there's nothing, no thing happening on God's planet that is even remotely as important as the work of the gospel and feeding the sheep of Jesus Christ for whom he died to save so that they can grow in grace, they can be edified, they can be equipped for the work of the ministry according to the scriptures. And let me just guarantee you this one thing, by the grace of God, this outreach will continue to unapologetically endeavor to preach the whole of the word of God, regardless of who gets offended or not in Jesus name. And please remember that your prayers and support are vital to this operation. Thank you. In Exodus chapter 17, we read about the smitten rock. Verse 6, Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock of Horeb, Horeb meaning desolation, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Mirabah because of the chiding of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Exodus chapter 17, verse 6 and 7, F.B. Meyer concerning this smiting of the rock says, From the smitten rock flowed the water for the thirsty hosts. So the rock of ages was smitten, that's Jesus Christ, and from his riven side has flowed out blood and water for the sin and thirst of the world. He that eateth his flesh and drinketh his blood, spiritually that is, hath eternal life. Such refreshment is in preparation for warfare, and then comes Amalek. So this precedes the story of how Amalek, which represents the flesh, fought against Israel in Rephidim. And Moses, verse 9, said unto Joshua, Choose us out, men, and go out, fight with Amalek, for tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said unto him, and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill, and it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed, and when he let down his hand, Amalek, or the flesh, as is typified here, prevailed. So as long as Moses' hands or hand was held up, that's posture of worship that's very significant in our lives but we'll develop that here in just a minute. Verse 12, For Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited or defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. What a blessing. You know, as long as 
we are in the posture of worship as we are seeking the face of the Lord, there's going to be victory. It's only when we let our hands fall down or we let our worship, our glorifying, our magnifying, our seeking continually the face of the Lord that defeat comes. See, defeat cannot come as long as we are seeking the face of God. Moses stood upon the rock of Horeb, which means desolation. Or was it the Lord who stood on the rock of Horeb? So Moses stood upon the rock. The people, if you read previous in this chapter, Exodus 17, had chided Moses, if you will. They thirsted for water and the people murmured, verse 3, against Moses and said, Wherefore, or why is this? that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst. You know, many times when we know God has spoken to us and is leading us from point A to point B, in between there comes affliction. You know, I was reminded this morning in my own prayer time of how the Lord says that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. Acts chapter 14, verse 22. Also, Jesus said to his own 12, you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endure and he that endure to the end, the same shall be saved. We should be equipped with the understanding that even as the disciples who were in the ship with Jesus, I believe it might have been the lake of Gennesaret, in Mark, was it chapter 4, I believe? Jesus said, let us go on over to the other side. That meant that they were going to get there, and you are going to get where God wants you to be, even though there's going to come up storms between point A and point B, between the calm of the beginning of the journey and the fulfillment of it, or the reaching of the destination where God has called you to be. There's going to be storms to come up against us. This represents the testings of God. It also represents that, as Paul said, Satan hindered us. 1 Thessalonians 2.18, there's going to be spiritual warfare, which only confirms that you're in the right way with the Lord. And here we have the children of Israel being brought out of Egypt, out of the world. That's a type of salvation. And now they're murmuring with Moses that he brought them out of Egypt to leave them to die. I mean, I've got to tell you, I need to pray all the time. Lord, increase my faith because things get so dismal looking sometimes. And it's a test of our faith that we will trust that the Lord who brought us to where we are is going to continue the work that he began in us. He is going to finish it. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. No matter how it may look right now, may God bless each of us to cry out to him. And we do now, Lord, we ask you to increase our faith and bless us to walk by faith and not by sight. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 24, faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. You know, it's interesting that that comes right after Paul, verse 23, praying that God would sanctify each of the people of God. That's us also, uh, holy or 
W-H-O-L-L-Y, completely, spirit, soul, and body, to be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate destination, is to be with Christ in the bridal chamber of eternity with him, like the five wise virgins had reached that destination, but they were tempted with spiritual adultery, just as we are every day. We should say with Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Affliction and conflict are part and parcel with the kingdom of Christ in this fallen, dark world. The kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, right? And the violent take it by force, according to Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. So as Moses's hands were upheld, either under his own power or with the help of other members of the body of Christ, and boy, isn't that a lesson to us right there, the people of God were winning. They were defeating Amalek, which represents the flesh. And sometimes we need, actually all of us, the admonition, the instruction of God through other brothers and sisters via scripture-based fellowship. They all gathered together after Pentecost in their pure worship, and they continued steadfastly, the earliest followers of Jesus, in the apostles' doctrine. They continued in the Word of God. They let the Word of God dwell in them richly, Colossians three sixteen. And it's always a reminder when you're in biblical fellowship of verses like, for example, Galatians 5, 24, which says, They that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. Much of our fellowship with other believers in Christ should be camped out at the cross of Christ, where his precious blood flowed to redeem us, and at the feet of Christ, where he teaches us to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, and follow him. It's the only way we can follow him, yet we have so many t-shirts and sayings of the world and most of the pastors today and false teachers, which make up the vast majority of those claiming to be representing Christ, are teaching that men must learn to love themselves. That's nowhere to be found in the Bible. To Treat yourself. I saw a t-shirt yesterday a lady had on, and I think it said, be good to thyself. You know, these are straight out of the book, actually straight out of the book, the Satanic Bible, the book of Satan. These are all Luciferian, self-serving type quotes, which are there to poison and indoctrinate your mind, diametrically opposed to that which Christ teaches. Christ teaches that we must be liquidated, we must be poured out, we must be crucified with him, as Paul said. We are crucified. I am, he said, and it's he took the ownership thereof. And that's an example and something you and I must do. We must say, I am. Yeah, me. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ that liveth in me and the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So all of this is a type of and figurative of the salvation we have in Christ here in Exodus 17. We see where the people were washed and refreshed when the rock was smitten. That represents Christ being smitten on the cross that we might be saved. And also perhaps the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. That would represent what happens, the miracle of God, the born again miracle at the moment of salvation. And yet then we're 
were confronted with Amalek or the flesh, which must be crucified daily. Didn't Paul say, I keep, notice it's a continual tense, I keep under my body, lest by any means after I've preached to others, you know, he was saved and preaching to others, I myself should be cast away in the end. First Corinthians nine twenty seven. The flesh or Amalek cannot be cast out. No, it must be crucified daily till we are with the Lord in heaven. You see, so after he saves us, he's going to complete the work he began in us. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And that requires our personal participation. Anyone who tells you that you're once saved, always saved, you're automatically going to be in heaven because you were initially saved is absolutely misleading you. That is the first lie. That's all Satan pretty much can do, right? The father of lies, John 8, 44. That's the first lie he told. He told the man and the woman that they would not surely die if they disobeyed God. Well, sure enough, they did. And God kept his word and kicked them out of his holy presence. Man had fallen. And now man has to be redeemed, and it's through Christ who came and crushed the head of the serpent, the first messianic prophecy in the Bible, Genesis 3.15. And we must see Satan crushed under the foot of Christ as we allow him to rule and to reign in our lives. He is going to continue that good work in him, but that's not all the Bible says. We must put scripture with scripture. Scripture tells us that Jesus said, if we don't abide, that means continue in him, we're going to be cast into the fire. You must choose to engage in a relationship with the Lord, an intimate relationship with him. That is what enduring to the end means, and it must be on his terms. Isaiah chapter 64 verse 7 speaks of who is it that will stir up himself to seek the Lord. Jeremiah 30 verse 21, I will cause him to draw near and he shall approach unto me for who is this that engaged his heart to approach unto me, saith the Lord. Who is it that will engage his heart to approach unto the Lord. Philippians 1 verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. The next chapter, Philippians chapter 2 verse 12 and 13, wherefore my beloved as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out not for, but work out, walk it out. You've been born again. You're Christ. You're a new creature in Christ. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And notice in verse 13, what's going to happen as you work out, you walk with the Lord, you abide in the Lord. What's going to happen? For it is God, verse 13, which worketh in you both the will and the do of his good pleasure. That's Philippians 2, verse 12 and 13. Also, I believe it's Psalm 138, 8. The Lord will perfect that which concerneth thee. Aren't you glad that the Lord is continuing to work in us? The Bible uses the illustration that we are the clay and he is the potter. Jeremiah 18, 6, etc. Hebrews 6, verse 11 and 12, 4. It says, and we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. See, that's a phrase that we see throughout the New Testament. Unto the end. We're king's kids, but we're not home yet. Verse 12, Hebrews 6. That ye 
Be not slothful. Do not be lazy. Do not be anything other than diligent. That you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promise. See, it's one thing to be washed, refreshed, born again, regenerated, made alive in Christ. And it's another thing to continue. You know, Jesus said, in your patience, possess ye your souls. So we're followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. We are looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Our faith is not finished yet. We must endure to the end to be saved. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 12. 1 and 2. 1 Chronicles 16, 11, Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His face continually. You see, our walk with God is not a one-time event that's a one and done. No, that's the beginning and the entrance as He brings us into His kingdom of a lifetime on this earth, as long as we're here, of having an abiding relationship with Christ, John chapter 15. And that's why God made us, John 17, 3. This is life eternal. This is the whole reason for eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. See, that's our goal, if you will. That's our aim is to cry out for God to make us more and more one with him, that we would be blessed to walk with him in an abiding relationship that bears the fruit that glorifies him. John 15 and also John 16. And thank God for the Holy Spirit of God in us as we are the temples of the Holy Spirit, enabling us to do every and anything God has commanded us to do by his grace and by the power of the Spirit of God. Hallelujah. And one of the things he's commanded us to do is to overcome Amalek or to crucify the flesh. Amalek represents the flesh and all of its evil, iniquitous bents, if you will. So let's read a little bit more about this. This is all coming out of our central text Exodus 17, Donald Stamps, he's the author of the notes, if you will, in the Life and the Spirit Study Bible. He writes this, Moses held up his hand by holding up his hands to the Lord. Moses reveals his dependence on God and his faith in him. Number one, Israel's strength and victory lay only in a continuous drawing near to God in prayer, faith, and obedience. When the prayer of Moses ceased, the flow of divine power to his people ceased. And number two, this divine principle continues to operate under the new covenant. If we fail to call upon God daily in prayer, then the divine life, protection, blessing, and grace will begin to cease flowing toward us. Our only hope of victory lies in continually drawing near to the throne of grace through Christ that we might receive the power and grace of God to help us in times of need. Hebrews 4.16, that was a great piece there on what we're reading about here concerning the upheld hands of Moses and the significance, the spiritual significance thereof. Thank God God has set up a throne of grace through the blood of a lamb, Jesus, who's now 
back in heaven at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us, Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, and chapter 7, verse 25. And we can come boldly, beloved, because Christ's blood speaks for us in heaven. He's actually appearing in the presence of God for you right now book of Hebrews. Read it, study it, know it, learn it, pray it, read it through 10 to 20 times. Get it inside of your spirit and your mind. The lifting up of the hands toward heaven, God's throne, is a sign of surrender in the Bible, of worship to our God. Notice Psalm 28, 2. Hear the voice of my supplications. Supplications simply means humble request, the psalmist says. Then he says, when I cry unto thee, when I lift up my hands, hands toward thy holy oracle. Notice when I lift up my hands. Also Psalm 63, 4, thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. Psalm 63, 4, that is. Here's another one in Psalm. Psalm 119, verse 48, quote, my hands also will I lift up unto thy commandments, the word of God, which I have loved and I will meditate in thy statutes. Raising the arms of Moses teaches us that we must have God's presence, his power, and his people to walk in the victory. Notice that when Moses grew weary, that, what is it, Aaron and her went up and they were with Moses and they held up his hands. And that as long as they held up his hands, as long as his hands were up, either by himself lifting them up or having the assistance of other members of Christ's body, in this case, Aaron and her, then Moses and the people of Israel prospered in victory in the battle. But Amalek or the flesh prevailed as long as the worship wasn't ongoing toward heaven. I love Galatians 6 verse 9, which exhorts us to persevere. Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. If we faint not. I don't know why this isn't taught all the time. People are tickling ears from their pulpits. It's a sad day, but we are responsible, you and I, to read and to live by the whole counsel of God's Word. You know, recently people are getting saved continually, and what we're seeing and have conferred about with great joy is we're seeing people come into the kingdom of God, and nobody in our midst is telling them, go find a good church. Are there any good churches? <laughs> I ask that rhetorically. There's not many good churches. Most of them are completely apostate. They're not teaching and don't care to teach or endeavor to teach the whole counsel of God's word, including that you must endure to the end to be saved. See, getting washed by the rock, the water flowing from the rock is the beginning of our salvation, not the end. Amalek shows up right after that. After you get saved, the flesh is in your way. And we're hearing, I'm getting phone calls all the time about people saying, hey, you you know, the people that just got saved, they're choosing to go on a fast, a three-day fast right after being saved and talking about how they can no longer do the things they once did because they're new creatures in Christ and it doesn't agree with the Holy Spirit who is in them as they are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. David, when he cried out in repentance for his gross sin in Psalm 51, said, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. It's possible. And that's what happened with the five foolish virgins. They did not remain in fellowship with the great bridegroom that represents Jesus. And therefore they fell away and were shut out 
of the eternal kingdom of God. You can fall from grace. We read that throughout the New Testament and the Old. The whole book of Jude is pretty much dedicated to giving examples of those who throughout history have fallen away from the Lord. And he warns us in verse four of his one chapter book, Jude, to beware and to of those ungodly men earnestly contend against those ungodly men who are turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness or a license for sin. That's why they don't teach that you must endure to the end to be saved. Jesus said that twice in Matthew ten twenty two and twenty four thirteen. He's specifically speaking of these final days in which we live in chapter 24 and he says that the love of many is going to wax cold because iniquity is going to abound but yet only those who endure to the end are going to be saved jesus taught in luke 8 13 that there will be those who would believe for a while jesus said they would believe that means they got saved because jesus elsewhere said he that believeth has everlasting life john 6 47 so in luke 8 13 jesus says there would be those who would believe for a while and in a time of temptation you see because iniquity abounds in all around them the voice of the devil they no longer deny themselves take up the cross and follow him anyway so he said they would believe for a while and in time of temptation they would fall away now how is it that you can't fall away from the lord after being saved when jesus himself said that you can fall away he invented the term yet you got false teachers that say you can't fall away. These people are absolutely preaching a false gospel without a doubt. In Romans 11, 20 through 22, Paul warns the Gentile believers, that's us, that they would be cut off if they didn't continue in the goodness of God, the goodness and severity of God. May God bless us that we even pause now to pray with the psalmist, Psalm 86, 11, that the Lord, Father, we pray that you would unite our hearts to fear thy name, O God, for you made us, you came and bought us with your blood and you found and saved our wretched souls into your eternal kingdom. We love you, Jesus. Please keep us to the end and bless us to war against Amalek, Lord, to continually be refreshed by the waters of your presence through fellowship with you and your body, and also that we would continue in a life of praise, a life of worship of thee, O God, putting you first, crying out with John the Baptist that you must increase, but we must decrease, and our hands would be held high in worship toward you, toward your throne of grace, as we're heading there to be with you for all eternity. We love you, Jesus. So Amalek represents the flesh. It represents the flesh. And again, it cannot be cast out. It's not a one-time deal. It's a lifelong test. The kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. No one is going to accidentally take the kingdom by force. They're going to do it without a deliberate, diligent effort, choosing to put God first looking unto Jesus. And that is a fight. That is fight the good fight of faith. What is that fight? It's a fight to keep your eyes on Jesus. And therefore you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Christ. The flesh must be crucified out of your way. It must be reduced. It must be weakened. Jesus said, when you fast, and the Bible teaches fasting and prayer, that is the cross. That's a matter of saying, Lord, I'm fed up with the flesh, the sin and the dismal evil, dark results that it brings, the shame, the guilt, and everything else, because the wages of sin is death. So, Father, I want you, Lord Jesus, to reign in my life. You must increase, but I must decrease, Lord. And so you push away the plate. You say, I'm going to drink water for the next day or whatever you decide. But there has to be a aggressive 
plan of obedience to obey God. God commanded you to fast and pray. And this is in the Old and the New Testament. If you go on Safeguard Your Soul and look at the category called fasting and prayer, you're going to find a wealth of biblical truth and encouragement for you in that way. And it will bless you. I tell you, my best days are the fasting days. It just You stop to realize how much energy and time goes into feeding your flesh every day. It's such a day of peace. Also, physically, your heart is getting a rest because it's not having to pump blood constantly to your stomach to digest your food. That's a side benefit. And so Amalek represents, again, the flesh. And the flesh must be crucified. And the way it's crucified is by worshiping God relentlessly. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. And the flesh will be defeated by the power of Christ, the Savior, raising you up. You are dead and your life is hid with Christ and God. And when you're obeying Christ by laying down your life, you're letting the death and burial take its full effect in your life. You're going to be raised up. He is going to reciprocally raise you up. In fact, he delights to do such. And he set this cross prescription up. It's at the center of the gospel. And that's why it's such a shock that this isn't being taught. You can't live the Christian life without the cross. Should I say the Christian life can only be lived by the raising up of the Lord in your life, by his power overcoming Amalek. And that only happens when we resign ourselves to obey him and we lay down our lives. We are crucified with Christ. Galatians 2.20, memorize it and live it. Notice 2 Corinthians 4.10-12. Always, Paul writes, bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that, here's here you go, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. See, that's when the victory happens, when the life of Jesus is made manifest in your body, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Ghost is raising you up out of that dead and buried state then the power of Christ is working in you and Amalek or the flesh is being defeated. You're never going to overcome the sins of the flesh without the cross, beloved. We've got a daily cross category. It's got, oh, wow. I'm sure it has over a hundred. Seemed like it would have over a hundred posts all to edify you. Radio programs on the cross, audio messages, podcasts, written text with scripture, etc. Verse 11, 2 Corinthians 4, for we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. As death, the death and burial of Christ is reenacted in our lives daily, the life of Christ is going to flow and teem and flood our being. And it's also going to go out to others as a cup that runneth over. That's how ministry is done through the cross in no other way. As long as he sought the Lord, King Uzziah, God made him to prosper. And the same thing thing is for us, beloved, as long as we seek the Lord, God is going to cause us to prosper. As soon as we stop seeking the Lord, it's like the hands of Moses dropping down. The flesh is going to gain the victory and it's not going to take any time for that to happen, hardly. We all know that by experience and now we also are learning that by the word of God. We must say with the writer of scripture, that we must seek the Lord in his strength and seek his face continually. First Chronicles sixteen eleven. So F.B. Meyer of this chapter, chapter 17 of Exodus, as we close here, he writes, from the smitten rock flowed the water. This is, I'm going to read this again. I read it earlier. I want you to hear this again. We learn by repetition 
and association. You know, it's funny, this recently I was thinking about how I've said the same thing to different ones of my friends during Great Rich Fellowship. And I noticed this week that I shared something with a brother and I'd already, this brother and I have been fellowshipping for several decades actually in prayer and in rich fellowship of the word over the phone for a long time because he lives in another town. He lives around the Austin, Texas, San Antonio, Texas area. But I had shared it with something with him several times and I found myself sharing it with him again this week. And he stopped me and goes, oh man, that is really good. See, sometimes it takes more than one time to hear something. And Peter said he was going to bring into remembrance the body of Christ. Somebody said, we're a leaky vessel. We are. We need the word flowing into our lives every day. You cannot sustain a life with Christ if you're not banqueting at his bountiful table of blessed fruit, vegetables, meat, all of that, you know, as the word depicts it itself to be. You got to feast on the word of God, friends, to sustain a life with Christ like five wise virgins did. And they were sustained and able to endure to the end. And they were eternally with the great bridegroom. That's a picture of us. And yet the five foolish virgins who did not partake of the table of the Lord and did not fellowship with God, did not stay in fellowship and in worship toward the Lord with hands and heart toward heaven and therefore fell away. It's a choice and it's a privilege to eat at the table of the Lord. Notice F.B. Meyer. Again, let me read this. From the smitten rock flowed the water for the thirsty hosts. So the rock of ages was smitten, that's Jesus, and from his riven side has flowed out blood and water for the sin and the thirst of the world. He that eateth his flesh and drinketh his blood spiritually, that means partake with him, has eternal life. That's John 6. He continues, he says, such refreshment is in preparation for warfare. Then came Amalek. When our physical needs are satisfied, there is always the fear of Amalek, who in the typology of scripture stands for the flesh between this wilderness tribe, between this wilderness tribe and Israel. The conflict was long and bitter. The old Adam, said Luther, Martin Luther, is too strong for the young Melanchthon, but let the Lord fight for you. Lift up your hands with open palms to him. He will not fail, but guard your heart with all diligence, the scripture says, for out of it are the issues of life. That's keep your heart with all diligence. That's Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. And there's no better way and there's no alternative way to keep our hearts and to stay in worship toward the Lord and praise and prayer and thanksgiving in the reading of his word. Read God's word, beloved. Nothing replaces the reading of God's word. May God bless you to have the revelation to keep your hands lifted high and your heart to heaven at all times, no matter what it looks like, no matter what it looks like. So as our text reveals, Moses stood upon the rock in Horeb, which means Horeb means desolation. After the fall of man and to sin and alienated from the life of God, desolation reigned after the fall of man because sin separated us from God. When Jesus, our rock was smitten, cleansing and refreshing that represents the blood of Jesus and the Holy Spirit flowed forth from God's throne of 
of grace, as we read about in Hebrews chapter 4, Aaron and Hur upheld Moses. They helped Moses to keep his hands up high. We need the fellowship of the body of Christ for such. They did not, that is, Aaron and Hur, did not seek to replace him. This is a little bit of a side note, but it's very interesting that Aaron and Hur did not cease to replace Moses. They knew their calling. They knew his calling. We have the ministry of helps. We also have those that God has called out to serve him full time on post as his watchmen, his pastoral helpers, to watch for the souls, to pray for the souls of the saints and to feed them the pure word of God, Hebrews 13, 7 and 17. So Aaron and Hur did not cease to replace Moses, if you'll notice, in order to elevate themselves. You know, well, he's grown weak. Let's get rid of him. You know, you see that insurrection spirit often among the professing church. So this meant that there were at least three people in agreement with the Lord and the victory was won. Remember, Jesus said, where two or more gathered, right? There I am in the midst, Matthew chapter 18, verse 18 and 19. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And I say, and again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching or concerning anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am I in the midst of them. Isn't that interesting? Notice we have three in agreement. We have Moses and Aaron and her, right? And the victory was won. We could pull that in as a supporting scripture. Satan uses false leaders to turn the affections of people's hearts away from Christ. If you study Colossians chapter 2 closely, we see the warning about deceivers and false teachings and how they cause our hearts to be disengaged from the Lord, where we're not upholding or holding the head, Jesus Christ, in worshipful esteem as he alone is worthy, verse 18 and 19. We see this also with David and his son Absalom, where his son sought to replace David with himself. 2 Samuel 15, 6, Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And that's a type of the false prophets of today. David was a type of Christ and Absalom is a type of false teachers and the spirit of antichrist, anti meaning in place of, where they seek to place themselves or anything else in place of Christ as first love and misdirect many times and most subtly by neglect and refusal to preach the whole word of God. They misdirect people from the head of the church, the creator who is the redeemer and the soon coming king of heaven, Jesus Christ. He's our all in all. Without him, we can do nothing. It's all about Jesus, friends. The kingdom of Christ is all about the king, Jesus. Kingdom is two words put together. Domain, D-O-M, of the king. And your body, your spirit, your mind is to be the domain where Christ alone reigns. You got to go down deep. You got to choose that you're going to die and be buried and Christ is going to reign in and through your life. Otherwise, sin, that is Amalek, will ruin your life and send you to a devil's hell. So Absalom sought to put himself in place of his father, David, to replace him in order to be esteemed, to be popular, to be worshipped, to be rich in this world. And that's what you got with the false teachers of today, that they have put themselves before Christ, their own self-serving 
agenda. In fact, Paul says they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Their God is their belly, and they mind earthly things. Philippians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. So we must know our place, our calling, and serve therein. The greatest among you is going to be servant of all. As we close, remember with me how in Mark 2, we read about a man who was injured, who was paralytic, and yet four men carried him to Jesus. They couldn't get in the house where Jesus was teaching, and so they busted. They climbed up on the roof. Can you imagine getting this guy up on the roof, what that must have taken? And then they lowered him down. I mean, this took some desire, diligence, and ingenuity, right, and determination. And then they lowered him down into the midst where Jesus was teaching. And then here in verse 5, Mark 2, when Jesus, this is one of the most exciting stories we read about. There's so many in the Gospels. When Jesus saw their faith, their faith, okay, the palsied man, the paralyzed man, was merely carried. Obviously, he had faith, but Jesus is looking at the faith of the four. When he saw their faith, see, faith can always be seen in action. That's what charity is. Charity isn't having love in your heart as much as it is action, love in action. When he saw their faith, 1 Corinthians 13, by the way, when he saw their faith, notice he saw their faith. See, James 2, James said, show me thy faith without thy works. I will show you my faith by my works. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father, which is in heaven. Matthew 5, 16, when Jesus, Mark 2, 5, saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. And then we pick up in verse 10, but that ye may know that the son of man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, arise and take up thy bed and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose, took up his bed and went forth before them all insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw it on this fashion. You know, as we fellowship together as Christ's body and the way he prescribes that we fellowship with him, with pure organic fellowship, not poisoned by bureaucracy and all these money gold grubbers that are scamming the people, making merchandise of them, Second Peter 2, 1 through 3. There's going to be just so many testimonies, and we're seeing them in our midst, as I know many of you listening are. And every one of us should desire more of them to have true fellowship with Christ's body, where we hold up our hands, our hearts of worship toward him. And we provoke one another to love and good works. And the fellowship of the saints helps to inspire and bless each individual believer as we go our way into our daily lives to worship God in spirit and in truth. And we're going to see so many people made whole in every imaginable way. As Paul prayed, spirit, soul, and body would be sanctified holy. That is W-H-O-L-L-Y. We're going to see healings and miracles, but they're going to be coming out of a relationship with Christ and the fellowship of the saints as he prescribes and not out of somebody setting up a sideshow to draw attention to their false ministry and exploit the people of God. God bless you, friends. Thank you for listening. And we do definitely covet your prayers for the fruitfulness of this ministry outreach which is reaching thousands every day with the gospel and the word of God, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ.
Well, brothers and sisters, it's been a blessing to spend these moments with you in the Word of God. And remember, there's hundreds of more Christ-centered, scripture-rich, edifying podcasts on safeguardyoursoul.com forward slash audios. There's also a store page with several many books on there for your edification in Christ. They're all scripture-rich and Christ-centered. Also, tens of thousands of saints and sinners are being reached every month, and you're your prayers are coveted for the fruitfulness and supply of this outreach. God be praised, by the way, for those who are supporting. And feel free to visit our donate page on the site. And you can use your debit card, PayPal, or Patreon. And you can become a monthly sustaining member if you choose to do so. And a gift of any amount is so appreciated. Part of this outreach is to equip and supply other ministering disciples across our great country and all over the world. And may God be praised that there's fruitfulness happening among his people and through his beloved saints as we know that the return of our Lord Jesus Christ draws nigh. And we say together in the words of Revelation 22, even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen.